Our Bible reading this morning is from the book of Revelation, Revelation 12. I'll read the whole chapter that is found at the very end of Scripture, of course, and it's on page 1,925 in your Bibles, 1925. Um, This is the last in our Advent sermon series for Apocalyptic Advent, and it's good that we finish this series here because um, the book of Revelation, of course, is the apocalypse. In, In the Greek, the title of this book is Apocalypsis. So you can hear the word apocalypse in that, and in English, the translation from Greek to English is revelation. That's what apocalypse is. That's what an apocalypse does. It reveals. It reveals the hidden meaning. It pulls back the curtain on the hidden meaning of ordinary earthly things. Apocalypse pulls back the curtain and reveals the meaning of history. And that's what the book of Revelation does for us. And you'll notice that in Revelation 12, it is one very specific event, primarily, that the curtains are pulled back on, and that is the birth of Jesus. This is an account of Jesus' birth. It's very different. A different camera angle. In Luke, you have this sort of intimate picture, like Luke goes right into the stable, and you see Mary wrapping her baby in swaddling clothes. The Holy Spirit, through the vision he gives to John, pulls back the camera as far as it can go, and you see this the same event, except you see it from a cosmic perspective. You see it from the perspective of the heavenly realms. And this is what it looks like. Listen. A great sign appeared in the heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And then a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, and I, I want to say one thing about this. You'll notice that some of these, we're singing the hallelujah chorus at the end of the service, right? You all know that. This is the passage from which the hallelujah chorus comes. So that is a happy coincidence, a happy providential arrangement. We did not plan that. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God night and day has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you, 
He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to earth, he pursued the woman who'd given birth to the child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she may fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away in the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. There's a lot in that passage, and I will not explain all of it, but I'll explain most of it. There's a little piece of paper in my office um, pinned to the the board that's right above my desk, above my computer. I have lots of pieces of paper there. Um, And this is one of the things I've pinned up there, a saying that I turn to sometimes that helps ground me. I don't know who said it. Um, I looked it up on the internet, and the internet had about five different people who they claim uh, said this, which is pretty typical for internet stuff, as you know. In the end, it doesn't matter who said it, because it's the words that have the weight. And this is, this is the saying. Be kind, for everyone you know is fighting a great battle. Be kind, for everybody you know is fighting a great battle. The older I get, the more I like that saying because in my pastoral work, it is absolutely true. I never cease to be amazed by how often a regular person who looks strong and successful and peaceful and happy will come to my office, close the door, sit down, and out of their mouth, they will disclose a great battle. Sometimes it's something that's going terribly wrong in their family, Sometimes it's some past childhood trauma that they're still wrestling with and haven't figured out. Sometimes it's a temptation they're wrestling with. Sometimes it's an addiction that I didn't know anything about. Happens all the time. And when I was younger and it happened, I thought, wow, some people really carry a lot of stuff in their life. Now that I've been doing this for a longer, I think, no, all people, all people carry a lot of stuff in their life. Everyone we meet, all of you, are fighting a great battle just under the surface. Lord, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts, says David in Psalm 51. And when he prays it, we know exactly what he means. Revelation 12 is a good passage for anyone who's fighting a great battle. Because Revelation 12 is a passage about a great battle. And when you first read it, it seems like the combatants are completely different, a woman, a child, and a dragon. But I think you will see as we go through this sermon that that battle has something to teach you about yours. And in order to see how that's true, we've got to figure out what this passage means and what it is saying. And that's always hard in Revelation, right? Revelation speaks in this elusive language, this symbolic language. So let's try to figure out what the vision of John, what the Holy Spirit is saying through this story we just read. 
And that begins with, who, who are those three characters? Who's the woman? Who's the child? Who's the dragon? Let's start with the child. Who's the child in this passage? I think that's a pretty easy one. The child is Jesus. Jesus was the one who, as soon as he was born, was almost devoured by Herod and his armies who slaughtered the children at Bethlehem, right? That fits Jesus' story. This woman who gives birth and the child is almost devoured by the dragon at the moment of his birth. So the child, and this is the primary understanding of the story, is Jesus at his birth. But it's not just Jesus at his birth. The story implies more. Look at verse 5. It says, as soon as the child was born, God snatched him up to heaven. Now what event is that? in Jesus' life is that referring to? God snatching him up to heaven. Well, that's the ascension. So in one little verse, verse 5, the whole of Jesus' life is implied, from his birth, his death, his resurrection, and to his ascension. Right? It says that he will rule there, ascended, sitting at the right hand of God, he will rule the nations with an iron scepter. We, that's a clue that this really is the ascension, that when the snatching up talks about, because that's a quote from Psalm 2, and in the early church, Psalm 2 was often used as an ascension psalm. You look at Acts 4, it's used as an ascension psalm. It's a little bit technical, but it shows us. This story, the child is Jesus at his birth, but not just Jesus at his birth. It's Jesus and his struggle of his whole life extended through time, okay? All right, so who's the woman then? If Jesus is the child, then the woman must be Mary, right? Oh, she's Mary. But again, it's more complicated than that. This is why Revelation is so hard, because Mary isn't just presented as a woman. She's presented as a woman with 12 stars, a crown of 12 stars on her head. What are those 12 stars? Why is she wearing 12 stars? Well, 12 is a number that should make you think of the tribes of Israel. And that's right. Um, and we know the stars are the tribes of Israel, the people of God, because remember the story of Joseph, and Joseph had those dreams where all his brothers bowed down to him, but in the dreams, the brothers were not people, they were sheaves of wheat, and they were stars. So the rabbis in their writings would sometimes talk about the 12 tribes of Israel as the stars, the 12 stars of Israel. So when you see Mary with this crown of 12 stars, it shows you that she's not just Mary the mother of Jesus at the moment of Jesus' birth, she's a representative of the people of God throughout history, right? And if the people of God throughout history are often referred to as females in the Old Testament and the New, right? The bride of Christ. Just, it's Mary, but not just Mary at the birth of Jesus, but Mary is a representative for the people of God and their struggles throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's who the woman is. Finally, the dragon. Who's the dragon? Well, again, if we take the Christmas story angle, the dragon is obviously Herod. But again, it's more complicated than that. Go back to the Old Testament. And just as a side note, if you're reading Revelation and you're trying to figure out the symbols, the first place you want to go is the Old Testament. Don't think of modern historical events, all right? Look at the Old Testament, because most of the time these images have their root in the Old Testament. If you, the dragon, you go back to the Old Testament, and you'll see that the dragon and the serpent are repeatedly used as images for the enemies of God's people who try to devour them. So, Jeremiah 51, verse 34, 
refers to the dragon, the serpent, as Pharaoh and Egypt trying to devour God's people in Egypt. Go to Amos 9 and the prophet Amos refers to Babylon as the dragon and the serpent who try to devour God's people when they're in exile. When you put all these together, you begin to see that the dragon is not only Herod, the dragon is, and this is exactly what Revelation says, that ancient serpent, the devil. It's all the iterations, all the appearances of the devil throughout history, through people and systems and nations that try to devour the people of God. The dragon is Herod, killing the babies of Bethlehem. The dragon is Pharaoh, killing the Hebrew children. The dragon is Nebuchadnezzar, throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. The dragon is Hitler, trying to exterminate the Jews. The dragon is an abusive parent who covers his abuse in a layer of piety. The dragon can be a voice speaking in your own head, maybe a word of accusation. You're no good, you're useless. Or temptation, come on, it's no big deal. No one will see. So yes, primarily the dragon is Herod at his birth, but the dragon is more than that. It's the ancient serpent, the devil, and his work extended throughout history, throughout time. So what is the Holy Spirit trying to communicate to us when it shows us these three combatants and it describes the combat in the way that it does? Well, who were these visions directed to? John got him, but who was John first telling these visions to? It was the Church of Asia Minor, those seven churches. And those churches were not strong churches. They were beleaguered. They were persecuted. They would have been churches who would have felt like they were about to be devoured by the dragon, the forces of the emperor, the forces of the culture around them. They did not feel like they were on the cutting edge of some great Christian movement that would spread over the whole earth. They did not feel like they were in the middle of revival. They thought that they were about to be snuffed out and they were hanging on by their fingernails. And so the Holy Spirit comes to them through John and says, let, let me do a little apocalypse with you. Let me pull the curtains back on your situation. Remember how it was for Mary and Jesus right after Jesus was born when Herod tried to get them? It was terrible, right? It was terrible. But how did that turn out? Who won in the end? And remember how it was for the Israelites after they left Egypt and Pharaoh's armies were chasing them and they were pinned against the Red Sea. How was it? It was absolutely terrifying. They thought they were gone. How did that turn out? Who won in the end? And remember how it was for God's people in Babylon. The serpent was trying to swallow them and, and so many people were turning away from their faith. It was awful. How did that turn out? Who won in the end? And from your perspective, things may look miserable for you, but let me do a little apocalypse with you. Let me pull back the curtains. Let me show you Michael and his angel armies fighting on your behalf. Let me show you the child who Herod tried to kill and who Pontius Pilate crucified, now crowned with glory and honor at the right hand of God. And let me show you the devil himself with a mortal wound doomed to die. I know it seems bad right now, but I promise you, you will win in the end. 
The church of John's day needed to hear that, and we need to hear that. Which brings us back to that saying that I started the sermon with, that everyone we meet, all of us, are fighting a great battle. May I gently suggest to you that that great battle that all of us are fighting is part of the battle of Revelation 12 with the woman, the child, and the dragon. The battle in your head is part of that battle. Now, I don't want to be overdramatic, but what I do want to say is that every single battle in this world, whether it's something out there between principalities and powers or whether it's a struggle in your own head, it's not just economics, it's not just politics, it's not just psychology, it's not just human causes. It's a spiritual battle. It's the battle between good and evil in this world. And what's going on in your head is part of that. And I don't mean to say then that you are on the side of the angels and whoever disagrees you out there in the world is on the side of the dragon. No, it's more complicated than that. If only it were that easy. It's much more complicated than that. The battle lines are drawn through the middle of each of you, right? The struggle is inside of us. So as you fight your daily battle, as you have that constant struggle in your head, you may feel like, wow, I'm embarrassed. I don't have bigger control over myself, but don't be. Remember who you're fighting that ancient serpent, and he's pretty tough. And that interior conflict might seem small to you, but don't be fooled by that either. It's important. It's vital. If you were at the stable watching Mary wrap Jesus and put him in the manger and you didn't know better, that would look like a small thing to you too, wouldn't it? I just look like a teenage girl trying to hold on for dear life. But from the cosmic perspective, it's so much more than that, right? History is hanging in the balance. The whole world is holding its breath. This is God's invasion. This is God's D-Day. When Mary wraps her child in a blanket, the hosts of heaven shout a battle cry, and the foes, the evil foes, the dragon and his armies are in confusion and retreat. We like to think of the great victories of the kingdom and Imagine large and important things that would draw attention to themselves, but the fact of the matter is sometimes the greatest victories look like a teenage girl on her knees saying, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Or sometimes the great victories look like a caregiver taking her loved one to the bathroom for the thousandth time because he can't do it himself and trying to stay cheerful and positive while she does it. Sometimes it looks like a mom holding on to a screaming toddler, a child who has temper tantrums that she cannot explain, holding tight to him and singing, Jesus loves me until he calms down. Sometimes it looks like a young adult who wakes up every morning with a weight of anxiety on his chest. And he prays against it, and he goes out and tries to live a sacrificial and loving life, even though that weight never really leaves him. Sometimes it looks like a 70-year-old alcoholic, recovering, saying no to alcohol for one more day in the middle of a Christmas season where alcohol glorification is all around him. The Lord knows your great battle. And more than that, the Lord is engaged with you in your great battle. And so are Michael and the angels, and so is Jesus. 
And Jesus knows exactly what it's like to have that struggle in the mind. And he's with you. He's fighting right beside you. And even though it doesn't always feel like it sometimes, I promise you, he will win. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this victorious vision that you've given us from the perspective of the eternal realm. Lord God, we need that vision in the trenches. As we get closer to the day when we celebrate your birth, may the good news of this gospel fill us with hope and joy and song. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Offering will now be received, and our offering will now be received. And during the offering, um, at the end of this service, as I mentioned before, we will sing our Hallelujah chorus. Um, if you've not been part of that, if you would like to sing and you're not obligated to, those who would like to may come forward. We have scores up here, and we'll finish the service by singing that great uh, hymn of praise to our God. Uh, as soon as the plate goes by you, that's your time to come forward. Take your place up here and grab a score. Let's give of our gifts. <laughs> 